Today we're going to finish up our series on uh, economic atheists. This last four weeks we've been trying to answer the four most important questions we've all got to deal with when it comes to our personal economics and finances. Now there's hundreds of questions we're probably all having to deal with when it comes to money. But we tried to figure out what are the four most important questions. And uh, we narrowed them down to these four. How you work, and these are in your sermon notes on the very front. How you work, how you honor, how you budget, and today, how you Sabbath. How I work, how I honor, how I budget, how I Sabbath. Those are the four things. Week one, we talked about that God has an idea for the way that we should work. We talked about so grow, and harvest. The second week we talked about that God wants us to be faithfully bringing the whole tithe back to the storehouse. And that was one of the ways that we talked about honoring. Last week we talked about how you budget and that God is even intimately concerned with how you and I make decisions about our budget every month. And we talked about that everybody has to live within their budget and that not everybody's budget is the same. And we have to make decisions accordingly how to prioritize. And it was I've gotten a lot, probably more response from a sermon that I preached after last week's message. Some boyfriends and girlfriends went home mad at each other. Some husbands and wives were, you know, got down and, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It was actually, it was, it was a lot of fun. But, um, but uh, if you missed any of those first three weeks message, you can go onto our website, echochurchonline.com, and you can go listen to them. We have all the audio archive there for you, so you can go there and catch up. But this week, we're going to talk about how you Sabbath. How you Sabbath. Now, Sabbath might not be a word you use regularly in your house. I don't use the word Sabbath regularly in my house. I use it more this way. I use the word rest. How many of you enjoy rest? My two favorite things in the whole wide world. One, snacks. Love a good snack. Second thing, naps. Love naps. Love a great nap. I have a nine-month-old. I, don't, I probably won't nap for the next 19 years. Probably won't happen. Um, I would, however, like to go back to when I was five or six years old and my parents told me to go take a nap and I fought them. I'd like to repent for every time that I did that. You know, I, I like snacks. I like nap. I, in general, I like to rest. I enjoy resting. But for some reason in our westernized culture, we just don't do too much of it. And when we do, we feel like we have to apologize for it, don't we? I want to talk about how we Sabbath because that's also part of the whole economic lifestyle that God put into motion in the Old Testament. Um, You know, the the, the big question I have for you today is this big question. What is more important, the accelerator or the brake? How many of you, a quick survey, when it comes to cars, when it comes to life, when it comes to anything, how many of you say the accelerator is most important? Nobody. All right. How are you going to get anywhere? Go buy a car. Thank you, Adam. I see that. Adam's all about some accelerator. All right. How many of you say the brake is most important? Okay, you're the people that are always in front of me on 695 when I come home. <laughs> Aren't they both important? You got to have both. You've got to have both working. You've got to have an accelerator, and you've got to have a brake pedal. The problem is, is when we have only one or the other, but not both working in proper balance. 
I have a friend of mine who's a pastor of a thriving church in Miami, and he, over the last few years, has been kind enough to, to kind of coach me along in some areas, and he has a lot of pastors on his, his staff. They're a church of about 5,000, and he has a bunch of pastors on his staff, and he was telling me the story of one of his young entrepreneurial pastors right out of seminary, like 25 years old, just gung-ho, was so excited to be a pastor, landed a great job in Miami of all places. And he said, you know, this young pastor, you know, he, I noticed right away he was a workaholic. And he said, this young pastor, every Sunday when he'd get into his car to go to church, he'd look across the way and he'd see his neighbor out working in the yard. And his neighbor was spiritually unresolved. He hadn't made a decision to follow Jesus. His neighbor wasn't involved in a church anywhere. And he knew this from conversation. And this young pastor, as any good young pastor would, regularly tried to build a relationship with his neighbor. And he prayed for his neighbor. And he wanted his neighbor to make a decision to follow Jesus. And Sunday after Sunday, he'd see his neighbor out in the yard. And this young workaholic pastor got to a place where he started working seven days a week from eight in the morning to eight at night. One particular Sunday morning, he was completely, totally, physically exhausted. They have four Sunday morning worship services at his church. And when he got home about four in the afternoon, he pulled his car into the driveway. And this young pastor was too tired to even pull it into the garage. So he just got out of his car. He slams his door. His shirt's a mess. His tie's undone. He's kind of cranky, kind of grouchy. And he looks across into his neighbor's yard. And there is his neighbor laying in a hammock sipping a tall, icy, cool beverage, just enjoying Sunday afternoon. And the young pastor called my friend Eric, and he said, you know, I had a God moment when I got out of my car today. He said, for the last several months, I assumed my neighbor, who doesn't know Jesus, would look at my life and want what I have. But you know, pastor, I got out of my car and looked at my neighbor, and I said, I want what he has. I'm too busy, he said. I'm working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And now I'm looking over at my neighbor that doesn't even know Jesus. And he's living this life of comfort and relaxation and ease. And he says, I kind of want what he has. So why can't we have both? Why can't we follow after Jesus and at the same time take regular periods of rest and recovery in our lives? Why can't we do both? Um, Here's the truth of the matter. The big idea, this is in your notes. The big idea about Sabbath, there's one thing that I could leave you with this morning. It would be this. Too much accelerator and not enough brake, B-R-A-K-E, will result in a crash in my life. Too much accelerator, too much work, too much go, 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 and not enough brake will result in a crash in your life. Do you agree with that? Look, that's true in cars. It's true in our physical bodies. It's true for us economically, and it's true for us spiritually. If we get in the habit of only accelerating and never breaking, you're setting yourself up for a major crash in your life. But the inverse is also true. If you only ever live life on a break and never accelerate and go, you're not going to get ahead. But what we want to understand is that economically, you need to understand this, economically, financially, if you want to get ahead in life, you also have to stop at times, says God. Can I prove this to you? Let me invite you back into the book of Leviticus. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. We've been in Leviticus this whole time when we've been talking about 
economic atheist. And for those of you that are new with us, the difference between an economic theist and an economic atheist, as you're turning there in Leviticus, let me tell you what it is. An economic theist is someone who says, I believe in God, the one true God. And I believe that he is my king and I am his servant. And I will do what God says with respect to my finances. I'm an economic theist. That means decisions I make for my finances, my money, how I work, how I budget, how I honor, how I Sabbath. I'm going to do it God's way, not my way. Economic atheists say this. There is no God over my finances. I make my own decisions. I work the way I decide to work. I budget the way I decide to budget. I spend the way I decide to spend. I honor the way I decide to honor. And I rest the way I decide to rest. That's an economic atheist. So you may say, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. I made a decision to follow Jesus, but God's not God over my finances. You're in conflict this morning, friend. We don't pick which fences that we follow as Christians. We follow the fences that God puts up. Leviticus is a book of fences. God says, here's the boundaries. Inside the fence, there's favor, there's safety. There's blessing, there's prosperity. Outside the fence, those things aren't there. There's a fence for the way we're supposed to do our ethics, our diet, the way we operate in relationships, even the way that we operate our finances. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3 says this. You have six days each week. How many days? Six. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Whose day is it? It is the Lord's Sabbath day. And it should be, must be observed wherever you live. So whose day is the Sabbath day? The Lord's, right. Now, when we talked about tithing a few weeks ago, we said the tithe belongs to the Lord's, right? It's not mine, it's his. So whose day is the Sabbath day? The Lord's. I'm afraid... That in our westernized culture, we're having an easier time giving God his tithe, but not our Sabbath day. Both belong to God. Both belong to God. God says you have up to six days every week to work. And then there's one day a week that belongs to me for you to rest, for your body to recover, to do the maintenance that your body needs, for your thoughts to detoxify a little bit, to disconnect and disengage from your work. And to be refreshed for your spirit to reconnect with God. You need a day a week to do that. Says God. God says this. This is his idea. In Leviticus, God defines for us the accelerator and also the brake pedal for our lives when it comes to personal economics. Here's what he's saying. The accelerator is God's command to go and work. God says you have six days to work. So go work. Right? Doesn't, well, I only work three days. I work three 12-hour shifts. Don't get too hung up on the literal part of how many. God's saying you have up to six days every week to work. So you should go, sow, grow, and harvest. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You have up to six days a week to work. That's the accelerator. And when you, we go to work, we go to work for God. We want to work hard. We don't want to be lazy. Don't be slothful. Don't take a vacation for your whole work life. Go work. Go do what you're supposed to do. But then there's also a brake pedal. And the brake pedal is God's command to stop working. God commands us to stop working. A day a week. We're to take one day per week to cease from our work. I thought this might be more offensive than the tithing message. I'm starting to feel that maybe it is. 
Look, I'm just preaching to you what the word says because I care about you. I want you to live in the favor of blessing of God. But, you know, if you work seven days a week, you're not going to live every day on the face of the earth that God intended you to live. Your mind's not going to be as healthy as it could be. Your spirit's going to be cluttered. You're not going to be able to sit here in church or anywhere else and connect with God because it's work, 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 work all the time. You need to rest. Well, pastor, I've got to provide for my family. Are you a better dad when you're rested or when you're not? You better husband when you're exhausted? When you get occasional regular rest to make yourself better. What the word says. Well, let's define Sabbath because here's the question. Is this just a suggestion, pastor, or is this a command? Is God saying take a day a week if you can? Or is he saying you need to take a day a week? I think it's a command. In fact, I know that it is. It was one of the. It was one of the Ten Commandments, wasn't it? If you flip back to Exodus, I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 20, when God gives the Israelites the original Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, say this, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock. Your livestock can't do work. I don't have that problem, don't have any livestock. And any foreigners living among you. For four and six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and sets it apart as holy. God says if you want to get ahead economically, you want to get ahead spiritually, you want to get ahead physically. You need to look how you budget. You need to be careful on, on how you honor and what you're doing with your giving. You need to be mindful of the way that you work. But he finishes off his teaching by saying, but you also have to take regular rest for yourself to keep yourself healthy and connected to God spiritually. Let me define it for you. Number one, Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And that means to cease, to stop, to rest. He says one day per week. You're to cease, to stop, to rest, to take a break from work. Number two, Sabbath is to take a break from work, but not just just to take a break from work, in order to take a break for worship. Psalm 46, God says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still, take a break so you can know that I'm God. He says, six days you have to work, and then one day, it's not just to take a nap all day. It's one day for you to worship. So you're taking a break from your work in order to worship. So that's the theological underpinning. But I'm kind of anticipating some of the questions you might have. And I asked a friend of mine, I said, um, as I was preparing for this, I, I was talking to him this week. He's a pastor. And I said, you know, do you talk to your congregation about resting? He said, absolutely not. I said, really? You don't preach on rest? He said, no. I said, do you preach on money? He said, absolutely. I said, well, how are you going to preach about money and not rest? That's not fair. It's all in there. He said, I'll tell you, there's two reasons why I don't preach about rest. He said, number one is I'm afraid if I preach to my congregation about rest, they'll all blow off Sunday morning and never come to church. They'll say, Pastor, that's my Sabbath. I can't help volunteer. He said, all my volunteers will quit. I said, well, then, I said, so... He said, the second reason, I said, well, then what's the second reason? He said, because I don't rest. That kind of made me feel a little bit convicted. 
Because, you know, how can I stand in front of you and say, hey, this is the way you're supposed to live if I don't live that way? I look back since I moved here. I haven't, I haven't uh, had a week where I, took, where I really honored the Sabbath since I've been here. And a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing for this message, I sat with John Page and Brian Griswold and some of our leaders. I said, guys, I'm under a lot of conviction about this message on rest that I have to preach. I said, because I'm not living this. So, you know, we had to have some family meetings at the Nower House. Phil and Kendra and my nine-month-old, he's not real good in the family meetings. He doesn't have much to contribute. <laughs> and I had to humble myself before them, and I said, I'm not modeling Sabbath with our family, and we're not going we're, we're to move any farther down this road until we get some things right here. You know, and I also had to talk with, I talked with John and, and, and Brian, and I said, you know, guys, as we're imagining what we want this campus to be like and as Echo moves forward, Let's talk about letting our ministry here rest a night a week and just say, listen, whether it's we, we haven't figured out all the details, but we said, you know what, why don't we just say. Why don't we just say Thursday nights, we'll never plan any events or meetings or activities so that people that come to our campus know we're not going to design ministry that burns you out. We're going to take a night a week where we just say, listen, no meetings here at Echo Campus, you know, on Thursday nights. That's a night that we're going to try and be home with our families. If Thursdays doesn't work for you, at least we're trying to take a step in that direction to say we can't preach one thing and then live our lives and design ministry a different way. It's all got to line up. So, you know, my, my friend, when he said that to me, it kind of really resonated in my heart. And I had to kind of ask that question. Well, then how do I rest? How do I do that? How do I Sabbath? I, I don't live Sabbath. I like work. I like the work that I do. I mean, I'm a pastor. I don't punch a time clock. I mean, if you need me at three in the morning, I'm on the clock. You know, I don't really technically have a day that I'm away from things. I kind of have to understand that when I get into ministry. Some of you have jobs like that, you know, where you feel like I just can't get away. I can't peel away. I can't rest. I want to invite you to a four word solution for overworking and fatigue that Jesus offers in the New Testament. This is something that I'm trying to internalize and live out in my life. When I brought this to God earlier this week, this is what I felt like he deposited in me as a return. So let me just go through this forward prescription for living out the Sabbath. And I tried to make it at least a little bit of a rhyme in there so that you can stay with it. But the four words, the four words are stop, drop, find, and unwind. Stop, drop, find, unwind. And I, this kind of jumped jumped off the page to me when I was reading this really cool story over in the New Testament in Mark chapter 6. Because I asked God the question, how do I do Sabbath? How do I do that? How do I regularly build into my life seasons of rest to take a break from work and really accomplish what I'm supposed to do? And I came to this passage, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. And they told him about all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. This is amazing. I'm so thankful the stories in the New Testament. Here's what's going on. Jesus' hand-picked workers, his apostles, are busy doing incredible, incredibly necessary things in ministry. They're teaching. They're feeding hungry people. They're, taking, they're praying for sick people. And Jesus, is, Jesus notices that they've worked so much they haven't even eaten. And he intervenes in the situation, tells them, you have to take a break from your work. So how do they do this? 
in one sentence, he summarizes it all. First thing he says is, stop. Stop working for a minute. He says, let's go off. Now, in our society, when we say go off, that usually means you're going to blow your top. That's not what he's saying. In the NIV, it says, come away with me or come apart with me. The first thing you need to do if you're going to rest is you've got to stop working for a minute, okay? You cannot rest while working. Some of you have slept at work. That's not what we're talking about. You have to make a decision to stop. No one else will make this decision for you. Most of my employers have never encouraged me to take time off. Even if they offered it to me, they didn't check up on me to make sure I was taking it. You need to make a decision to stop working for a minute. As a matter of fact, I'll go this far. Now, this is not in the Bible. This is just me talking to you. If you are given paid time off at your job that you don't take, you're shortchanging your body. Now, why don't we do this? Why are, I think I know why. It's a little thing called pride. Because in our society, we pride ourselves on how hard we work, how many hours we work. We're all trying to work eight days a week, 27 hours a day, 400 days a year. To make ourselves feel better by doing work we're not expected to do to impress people we may not even care so much for. Why? Why? Is it more about impressing your neighbors, your co-workers, your siblings? Or is it about honoring God? And if God says you need to build into your life breaks and, you're, and you are able to take weekly and regular breaks and you need to take, you have to decide to stop. Working for a second. The disciples were hardworking. They were successful. They were devoted, but they were tired. They were tired. They were so tired and hungry that it became obvious to Jesus himself. You know, when you're tired, people know. You know when you're around somebody that's tired? (laughs) My wife knows when I'm tired. The disciples were around needy people. It's a bad recipe to be around people that are tugging at you all the time when you're tired. There's going to be civilian casualties here. The disciples were successful. They were hardworking. But Jesus says, stop working for a minute. Let's go off for a minute. He saw their fatigue. He noticed they hadn't eaten. They were depleting their mental, physical, and spiritual reserves. So how did Jesus respond when he saw that they were tired? He didn't fire them. He didn't didn't give them a different job. He didn't invalidate their work. He didn't excuse them from pursuit of their mission. He simply and warmly spoke to their need for rest by saying, let's go off for ourselves for a while. The decision to rest was theirs to make. They had to stop working, move away from people, and be alone with Jesus for a little while. And Jesus said it was okay. It's okay to stop working for a minute. It's okay to let your phone go to voicemail for a minute. You don't have to answer every email right now. You can let the laundry go for a minute. You can let everything just settle for a minute and stop. The first word in the prescription for rest for all of us, you have to choose to stop for a minute. Second thing we need to do, we need to drop. Drop all non-essentials. This is really going to bother a lot of you. Second thing Jesus says is you got to drop the non-essentials. He said, let's go away. And then he concludes these two words, by ourselves. 
You can't bring everything with you if you're going to go get rest. I know I can't take my iPhone with me if I'm going to take a nap. It doesn't work. Emails, text messages, it's all coming there all the time. And the moment I look at that email, I'm working again. That's me. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you're delivered from that. I'm not. That's the dual curse of of technology. My work can follow me everywhere. Have you ever gone on a vacation from which you needed a recovery period when you got done? Some of you are suffering from that right now. 19 Thanksgiving dinners in three days. Black Friday. You're at Best Buy at four in the morning to buy a $9 toothbrush. I know. We're not vacationing right if we need a recovery period from vacation. Have you ever gone to bed and woke up completely unrested because you didn't sleep? You tried to get rest and it didn't work? You probably took some non-essential thoughts with you to bed. As if staying up all night would solve the problem. You know that's what worrying is, right? Worrying is the inevitable result when we try to think our way to a solution for which there is no solution by thinking. If I just think about it long enough, I'll figure it out. Nope, you'll just be real tired the next day. Sometimes we take non-essentials with us when we go to rest. You've got to drop the non-essentials. Jesus said, you've got to come with me by yourself. That means non-essential people are not invited to rest. You've got to know what people you can rest with and what people you can't rest with. I love, some of my fam- I love all my family members. There's some of them I can't rest with. Just can't. Stress me out. You've got to know this stuff. You can't take non-essential chores with you. You can't, take, you can't take your work with you. You have to drop the non-essentials when you go to rest. So whether it's you going to bed tonight and saying, I'm going to sleep well tonight, you've got to make a decision to stop working or stop watching TV. You've got to make a decision to drop the non-essentials. I got sick and tired of going to bed every night and tossing and turning over worry. I finally decided there's just, you know, and a lot of times it, it involved people. They're just people that were stressing me out, and I'd go to bed, and when the lights would be off and the TV would be off, it's just there. It's like the cartoon with the black screen and the big eyeballs. That was me. I finally just decided, I'm not taking that person to bed with me. A, it would offend my wife. I just decided, I'm not bringing that person into the bedroom. I know that might, I'm not meaning to sound crass. I'm just telling you like it is. You've got to decide at some point, listen, that problem's not coming to bed with me. It's sleep time. It's time for me to drop the non-essentials. Jesus said, let's go away, but we've got to go by ourselves because he knew if they brought their work with them, if they brought friends with them, if they brought non-essential chores and people and all those rogue thoughts, if you bring all that stuff with you when you try and Sabbath, you're not going to get any rest done. You're going to feel less rested than when you tried to rest in the first place. Says God. Third thing. Find. Find a quiet place. (laughs) Do they exist? That's why people buy these awesome headphones. So they can fill their ears with noise to shut out the other noise, I guess. I don't know how that works. But, you know, you've got to find a quiet place. Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place. Jesus understood that atmosphere and ambiance are everything when it comes to you getting some rest. And it might look different for all of us. You've got to have a place that you can go that's quiet to you. That might be different. For me, I know right where that place is. It's a beach. That's my quiet place. I can't go there daily. Boy, I wish I could, but I can't. But there's other quiet places that I have. Sometimes it's 
Man, this is embarrassing. Sometimes it's a crossword puzzle. I drink tea, I read the newspaper, and I do crossword puzzles. I'm getting old very fast. But for me, even if it's 15 minutes, you know, it, it quiets everything else. It gets my mind out of one gear, and it puts it into something else. And it's almost as though sometimes I might not get a whole week, but sometimes if you can get 15 minutes of quiet place, it's as though everything else starts to clear up on you, doesn't it? You've got to know where your quiet place is. Jesus said to his disciples, for us to rest, we've got to get out of the noise and the tug and the pull and the expectations of everybody else. And we've got to get to a quiet place because that's where their bodies recharge. That's where their mind recharges, where their spirits recharged. For the disciples to rest, they had to change their environment. You've got to know where your quiet place is. You need to trust that the people closest to you can help you protect these quiet places. Do, do the people closest to you make it more easy for you to rest or less easy for you to rest? Let me turn that around. Do you make it easy for people around you to rest? Or are you the one that's always tugging on them to do more, to be more, to go more, to go, 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 go? You want to find a friend for life? You want to be a friend for life? Be the type of person that protects the white space or the rest of the people closest to you. They'll keep you close to them. Trust me. That's why I always celebrate when people go on vacation. I celebrate with them. That's a great thing. Go on vacation. Now, let's go back to last week. Make sure your vacation fits inside your budget. I celebrate when people go on vacation. We had, I I won't betray who it was, but Kendra and I had um, dinner with somebody um, last weekend, and, and at, the end of, at the end of the meal, um, she asked us, she's like, well, what are you guys going to do tonight? And it was a Saturday. I said, well, we go home, and we, you know, we kind of get everything, you know, we're getting everything loaded into our car for Sunday, and we're getting, you know, we're getting, we're thinking about Sunday morning, getting all the details together. What are you doing tonight? And she kind of embarrassedly said, well, I was just going to go home and rest. And I just said, you know what? That's an awesome thing to do. You go home, you turn the phone off, you, do, you just go home and rest. If you can rest, rest. And I, I try and celebrate with people when they do things like that. Because guess what? I want you to celebrate with me when I go away on vacation. I want you to feel all right for, for me when I go away, when I disconnect and disengage for a little bit and we go away. Because that's something that my wife and I just made a commitment to do after three years of marriage. We said every year we're going to go on a vacation. Now, some years that meant, you know, going to visit relatives and staying in their house for free. And, you know, in the guest bedroom and with the sewing machine in the back and sharing a bathroom with, you know, it just some years is what it looked like. But the first two years we were married, we said, we can't go on vacation. We can't afford it. And that wasn't true. We just didn't want to budget for it. And so we made some concessions in our budget. And so every year, every month, we put a little bit of money away that we could every month. And we budgeted for vacation. And I'm telling you, just taking a week where we can disengage and go find a quiet place has been incredible for our relationship, for our spiritual sanity, to be able to just disconnect from everything and just go away for a week and just be together and to be alone and to find a quiet place. We made some mistakes in vacationing. We took one year, we took a whole, we decided, hey, let's just bring the whole family on vacation. Let's invite them all and all their kids. <sighs> yeah. As you wonder how this happened, all in one week. All in one week, that's how that happened. But I, I try and tell young people that I counsel before they get married, one thing you need to commit to each other is that if you can, you take a vacation and you budget for it. Budget to take a vacation, even if it's just $50 a month that you can put aside, you can still do a vacation. You need to be able to take time to go away every year. Don't make your honeymoon the only time the two of you go away together and spend undivided attention with one another. It's not healthy for you. Make sure that you spend time getting away from work and just being together. Find a quiet place. And the fourth thing, 
unwind. Unwind and rest for a while. Because here's the deal. You can stop working. You can disconnect from all the non-essentials. You can find your quiet place and then not rest. I've done this. I've made, I've made a decision to stop working. I turned the phone off. <laughs> Confession. It was just last week that I finally figured out how to turn off my phone. I didn't even know how to turn it off. Now, I don't know whether that's just because I'm technologically challenged. I don't think that I, I think it's because, you know what I mean? I just, I was embarrassed to admit that. But, you know, you can get the whole way through where you disc, you turn off the phone, you find a quiet place, and then you don't rest. Stop working. Drop the non-essentials. Find a quiet place. And unwind for a little while. Because if you keep reading the rest of the story, you know what happened? Disciples got all excited. They stopped working. Jesus, look, Jesus gave them permission to stop doing ministry and get rest. It's not because all the mouths were filled and all the bellies were full. He just said, if you keep working, you're going to fall apart. You either come apart with me for a while, you just come apart. So the disciples say, we're in. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us permission to rest. They get in the boat, headed towards a quiet place. If you keep reading the story, you know what happens? The people that they were feeding find out where they're going. And they kind of run around. And when they get off the boat, they're all there. That's why I didn't want to read that part at the beginning. You wouldn't buy in anything I had to say. So I'm reading that story. I'm like, isn't that just how life is? You get all set and ready to have, you know, you got, you know, you got the calendar done. The kids are in bed. You're in your favorite chair. The game is on. You're just ready to go. And then something happens. And, you know. Thank God for DVR or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, something had, but at least they had the boat ride. At least they had the boat ride. Sometimes we don't get to take those huge blocks. Even when we set aside time to rest, there's interruptions that we have, aren't there? I don't mean to tell you that, that you can leave here today and, and if your life is totally upside down right now, that you're going to be able to carve out an entire day a week to take a 24-hour nap. I hope you understand that's not what rest looks like. Anything that allows your body to feel rejuvenated when you're done can qualify as rest. Anything that allows your thoughts to detoxify, come back to center and become a little healthier and less cluttered works as rest. Anything that allows your spirit to reconnect with God in a more intimate and real level, those things qualify as rest. And they might look differently for all of us. For you, the most spiritual thing you might be able to do today is go home and take a nap in the name of Jesus. Or maybe... For you, it's, it's saying, all right, that run that I was, you know, maybe some of you, for me, I recharge by running. I, I you know, I, I, I like to run. I'm trying to, I got like a half a K done once, and then, you know, I'm going to try and work my, that half a K isn't much. It's like running to your kitchen and back four times, but, you know, I'm trying. But for me, exercise is a way that, that I kind of recharge and reconnect and things like that, short periods of exercise. So maybe for you, it's today, it's, you go home and you do that exercise thing that you were putting off for a while, and that's the way you reconnect. Maybe instead of doing a whole bunch of housework this afternoon, you just need to go for a family drive and just enjoy each other. Listen, I care about you. I care about you. And it doesn't honor God for us to walk around our lives being fatigued and exhausted because we choose to do things that God never expects for us to do. I'm not a good husband when I'm unrested. I'm not a good worker when I'm unrested. You know what happens with me? I'm edgy. I'm impatient. I get defensive. I'm abrasive. And everybody around me knows that that's not the type of person I want to be. 
And it's not really fair to the people that I'm trying to to live life around to put them through all that drama simply because I refuse to take weekly, monthly, annual rest for myself. So here's what I'd encourage you to do and here's what Kendra and I are trying to do in our lives. Let's not only honor God with our giving, let's honor God with our rest and with our Sabbath. Let's be a campus that says we're unapologetically committed to following Jesus in everything he asks us to do. And this includes the way we treat the Sabbath in our lives. I reserve for my right, and you reserve the right for yourself to say no to things if it interferes with your ability to put up that fence in your life and say, no, today's a day of rest for us. You know why this is so hard? Our westernized culture, like we said, it's go, 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 go. Accelerate, accelerate, accelerate. Work harder for the next guy. Get ahead. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm just saying, remember, you've got a brake pedal, too, and you need to work that one so you can work longer, healthier. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So carve out one day out of every seven days to rest. Because people who don't do that are economic atheists. But people who will honor the Sabbath are economic theists. Let me pray over you this morning. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you might be saying, you know, Pastor, I stress about a lot of things. And I worry about a lot of things. And I don't even have that relationship with God that you described earlier. I don't have that in place in my life. I've never decided to follow Jesus. I've never made a commitment to him. I've never accepted who I am as a, as, as a person who's living apart from Jesus. Friend, the first step to you to really finding true rest for your soul is through a relationship with Jesus. We can give you techniques and tips We can give you all the clinical things about why rest and sleep are important and why vacationing is healthy for your body. And anybody in the world can take those things and apply them. But at the end of the day, what I'm most concerned about is the condition of your soul as it relates to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're spiritually unresolved, you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, but you want to do that right now. It's very easy. It's just a simple prayer that you pray from your heart to God that sounds something like this is a prayer I prayed when I accepted Jesus into my life. I said, dear Jesus, I recognize that I'm living my life without caring what you think. I'm doing my own thing as I see best. And God, today, I want that to stop. I admit that I've sinned and I've lived outside of the way you wanted me to live. I've lived outside your fences. But today, I want to be in favor with you. I want to begin a relationship with you. So Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change the way I think. Change the way I feel. Change the way I act. Change the way I behave. Help me. Be the man that I want to be that I know outside of you I can't be. I choose to make you my king, my Lord, my savior. And that means that my behaviors are going to follow after that. What you think is best is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to commit myself to learning and studying and understanding and knowing you better so that I can make my life match up to that. In your precious name I pray. Lord, I pray over every single person in this congregation this morning. I know we don't talk about rest a lot in church. We talk about all the things we need to do. But we also recognize for me to do everything that I'm supposed to do, I need to steward my body the way that you designed it to operate. And you set into motion systems and rhythms for my life. You provided the example. God, you don't need to rest. You never get tired. Yet you set the example right from the get-go in the book of Genesis when it says you worked and created for six days and then you made a pattern for us to follow. You rested from working for a day. 
And God, in, in some ways, it's easier for us to write a check than it is to put checks and balances in the way that we work and rest. But we recognize, I don't think we'd argue with you when we say we understand we need to have not too much accelerator and just enough break in our life. So, Lord, deal with us personally today. Wrestle with us on this out of your love and mercy for us. God, if we need to go home and have discussions with our family about how we're going to do this together and protect our ability to rest, then, God, we pray we invite you into those conversations today. Lord, if we need to make adjustments in the way that we're working and scheduling, if we need to put in for some time off that we've been delaying, God, give us wisdom to know how to apply what you're putting here. We don't want to be a church that just looks tired and exhausted all the time. That's not the example we want to show the world. Come follow Jesus and work yourself to the bone and be miserable. We want to, we want to be able to live a life of being refreshed and inspired, to be able to work hard, but to be able to rest well. Thank you for making these things very practical. In your precious name we pray. Amen.